because too much of it is about this, like, I need to go viral instead of I need to be there when the right person needs me. And that's how I always look at it. It's like, I might need something that's tapped into the pulse of what's happening right now. Absolutely want to do that. We like to do it in the live stream model just because it's a little bit easier there for us. And it's easy to create the content there and I don't have to think too hard about it. So we just do that. And then I want to capture everything else. Great keywords, great titles, save it as a video, an audio, and a blog. And if I do that, then I'm covering anyone in any mode of media type they care about. Welcome to another episode of Listeners to Leads, where I'm helping podcasters launch and maintain a lead generating show. I'm your host, Alicia Galati, the CEO and head podcast strategist behind Galati Media, a full service podcast management company. On this show, you'll hear my guests and I discuss everything it takes to launch a successful podcast and keep it running. If you're ready to get leads, land speaking gigs, and create deeper connections with your audience through your podcast, then this is the show for you. Today on the podcast, we have Tracy. Now, you might know Tracy as the queen of podcasting. She is the CEO of Podetize. She's the host of six or seven shows at this point, quite a few shows, and has been podcasting for many, many, many years. Tracy is a goldmine of information. We talked about so much ways that you can set yourself apart really use your podcast to stand out in the industry no matter what and making the most of your show, really repurposing it in ways that are intentional and ways that allow you to stick with what you do best. Please join me in welcoming Tracy to the podcast. Hello, Tracy. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I am very, very excited. If you could start by telling everyone who you are, what you do, and about your podcast, The Binge Factor. So I'm Tracy Hazard, and I do have a podcast called The Binge Factor, but it's not my first. I think I've done like six or seven now, something like that. Of course, I don't run them all at once because that would be crazy, right? (laughs) But I run about two or three of them at any given time. And I am the CEO of Podetize, and we are the largest post-producer of podcasts in the world. And we are one of the most tech-enabled hosting platforms, if you want to consider it that. But we're really selective. We want those active podcasters, the podcasters who care about what they're building, probably have a business-to-business view on the world of podcasting because those are the people we know we can truly help. Yes, make the most of their shows, right? Those are the people who are going to be really intentional. Most likely, they're not going to be in seasons. They're going to be more like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep showing up for my audience. And they're really purposeful, right? Like there's a difference between the hobby podcaster and the one who's like, I know that this is my core content. And this is what I'm going to show up with every week. And I'm going to repurpose the heck out of it in any way I need to. But this is going to be the one way where I like really show up. And it it really does show. Yeah, it does. And look, I love how you said that purpose podcaster, right? They're purposeful about what they're doing. And I think that, look, there's a wonderful place for hobbyists. Some of them have turned into some of the best podcasts that I love listening to, right? So there is really a place for that. But once you get the bug and it's really in you and that you want to double down on this and you want to keep going and you want to turn it into something, that's my people. Like those are the people I can truly help when they're dabbling and they're unsure and or they're pushed into it, which I see a lot of. I see a lot of marketing agencies push their clients into it, publishing companies push their authors into it. And it's just not their media type. 
and it doesn't fit them, it's never going to work. Like I tell my clients and I tell other podcasters, I can't make you record. There's nothing I can do that can make you record. It's not going to happen in the process. So if you're not willing to commit to do that, I'm not going to be the person who can help you the most. Yes, 100%. Same thing goes for us. Like when we're looking at people who are going to work with us, it's like, well, if you have really high expectations of what the podcast can do, first of all, right? Thousands of listeners in the first week, like unless you already have hundreds of thousands of followers, then you're not going to make that transition pretty easily. So I feel like you approach podcasting kind of like someone who gets a new tattoo, right? Like, (laughs) You get a tattoo and then you're like, oh my goodness, I need to have another one. Right? <laughs> I don't know if you have any tattoos. I have several. So I'm in that weird generation that just doesn't like uh, all my siblings do around me, our younger siblings, you know, and my, you know, some of our kids and stuff too. But, and then we have grandparents and stuff who did, but we like, we're in this weird generation. Maybe it's just like that thing where we didn't, but my issue is that I'm an artist and the idea of what to put on me has always held me back. It's not fear of pain or anything like that. So I don't, but I get what you're saying here. It's like, it becomes this kind of like, wow, that one was so cool. And this was a really interesting experience. And, but I didn't maybe make the right choices or do all the right things the first time. So I'm going to do it differently this time. And so, yeah, I do see that. But, you know, from a practical standpoint, the reason I have so many podcasts is simply because I believe that it's my job to know how hard it is to podcast today how painful it might be to go back to our tattoo analogy, right? My job is to find out, did it get better? Did it get easier? Is it less painful? Is there a better way to do it? What do I do for you, my client, to make sure, or my subscriber to my hosting platform, to make sure you can be successful launching today? Because I know when I started my first one, it was easier. The technical part was harder, but the launching of it and getting visibility, getting the listeners to leads... That was a lot easier back then. And I went in five months on our very first podcast, got 100,000 listeners in five months per month. Wow. I worked for it. We really worked hard for it. But that doesn't happen nowadays. I can almost count on the fingers of one hand the number of clients who can achieve that. Yeah. And it's definitely changed. Like the landscape of podcasting has changed. Can you talk a little bit about that? How it's changed from that first podcast? And I know you have a new one coming out this summer. It's going to be more video style and like how you're able to kind of dabble. And I love that you said like, I need to know how hard this is for our clients to ensure that we're giving them the best resources. I love that so much. So how does, how is it kind of transitioned? Yeah. So when we started our first podcast, it was called WTFFF and it was about 3D printing. So it was deep in a niche. And that's where we went right. We had a niche. We tapped into something that people desperately wanted information on around the world. So we had worldwide listeners immediately. In fact, we had such deep followers in Brazil, they almost wanted us to come and speak there. And I was like, I really don't know that that's in the cards for me, but that sounds so cool, right? So that kind of thing would happen and it would take off and it would really fly because there wasn't a lot of competition. But it was also because it was so deeply focused in a niche. That's what changed there. Then people thought because cereal came into the world, and I say that not cereal like the cereal we eat, but cereal like (laughs) (laughs) cereal crimes, right? Cereal crime model came out and they did such a great job of production and they did such a great job of people leaving people hanging, getting them to binge on a show that it turned that model into something of interest. And now we have all these entertainment shows flooding the market, but they don't succeed at a rate of 90% failure. 
So one out of every 10 succeed in that model because there's too many variables. You have to get the entertainment quality just right. You have to get the content process just right. You got to get the research right. You've got to get the right host. You, like There's just so much behind it. And because it's so intense in terms of production quality, it's not as easy as us getting on the mics here and talking to each other, right? right. It's much more intense and a lot of planning and a lot of cost. Because of that, they don't do as many shows. So that's mm. also a failure point for them is that they're not consistently posting every single week, keeping their audience engaged. Their audience starts to lose interest and go somewhere else. And then they got to get them back again when they do another season really hard model. So it requires more money and it requires a lot more thinking and a lot more of all those other things. So when people come into it, they go, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. This is too much work. And we have a high quit rate. So we have high failure and high quit when we look at that model. So now we come back around to where I think things are today and people are like, I can't do all the speaking events I was doing before. The events that I am doing a quarter of the people are showing up. Where can I go that's consistent? Where can I own my own audience? Because I'm so tired of my social platform pulling me or making it so that I don't have circulation. And so that's really where I think we come back to is that actually podcasting has come back in favor. And I have many, many clients who kind of took some time off, got a little distracted maybe during the pandemic and then got trying to build their business back up. And now they're back into podcasting again. So it really comes back. They were like, you know what? I don't know why I quit. That was ridiculous. (laughs) But my clients who doubled down during the pandemic have stuck with it and their businesses are back on track and moving forward because they never left. Yeah. And it's that creating something and going into like, more about podcast listeners, right? I'm thinking about as you were talking about those serial episodes and those serial shows where you know, think like limited series, Netflix style, you know, that kind of thing. We listen to those with our kids. And usually it's like, hey, there's maybe 10 episodes and then that's it. Like the show is over. So then you got to go find a new show. We're only listening to them with the kids. I'm like, well, are they going to be okay? Because a lot of that's like, you know, the radio type of podcasting unregulated. So you don't really know all the time. My kids are little. true. We got to check them out ahead of time, right? (laughs) Yes. And then we found one that's like by Nat Geo. It's great. We love it. Production quality is excellent. But like there's the seasons, right? So you have to wait in between seasons. It's like, well, I don't have anything else. And Nat Geo doesn't have any other ones that are for kids. And so I totally understand what you're saying. And like knowing that podcast listeners, the avid ones are listening to nine shows a week at least, right? Like hours and hours of their time listening. And so if you don't have anything for them, they're going to go elsewhere. And it's not likely they're going to come back looking for you. So having something that they can binge, they can just keep coming back every day, every week and go back through your backlog, which is why, like you mentioned, those clients are seeing such great success because they didn't stop. People think that podcasting is quick wins. And it's not. It is a long game strategy. Like it's a marathon, right? It really is. And you know what? You're you're pointing out something so great. And this happened to us just really recently, and it was a wonderful story. I always look at our podcasts, especially our podcast feed your brand, which is our podcast for people building podcasts, right? It's for we have lots of I'm going to call them competitors, people who are podcast coaches and managers and other hosting companies listen to feed your brand because our content is always tapped into what the struggle is right now because Mm -hmm. we record it live as a coaching call for our clients. 
So we're dealing with an immediate problem that they might be having in the industry. And then, of course, we're capturing that content. We're not only saving it in the podcast library because we want it to be there. So when somebody is new to podcasting, they can go through the library and figure out what they need help with. But we also blog it. And that is our key to what we do here. This is what gives us the most longevity. So we did a podcast episode that was for one of my clients. She had to break up with her co-host. And for any of you out there who have ever had a co-host situation or a business partner, you know how stressful and like, and you didn't necessarily have a prenup and you didn't plan it and the whole thing about it. And so the episode was titled something like how to break up with your co-host, right? You know, like, like, and make it not painful or something like that. And so what happened was, is that we had that episode and while I gave her personal advice, because we had a strategy session and I gave her personal advice about what to do, I thought, this is something we need to preserve. So we did a coaching call doing it, preserving that data and information and our recommendations. And then we turned it into the blog. Well, there was this woman who was really at this situation where she had her podcast. She loved it. It was going really well, but she was having so much difficulty with the co-host that she wasn't able to move beyond seasons, which is what she wanted to do. She really wanted to make it a weekly thing. And so she realized she needed to break up with her co-host. She's a massage therapist by day. And she literally was doing a trade for her mentor, was on the table being massaged as she was telling him her things. And he had his phone and he's Googling, breaking up with your co-host, with your podcast co-host. And a blog comes up from us. He hands it to her and he said, is this helpful? She finishes the massage. She gets that. She reads it or listens to it. She probably just listened to the podcast at the top of the page. No one ever reads our blogs. They're too long. But Google does. And that's the important part. That's how we showed up, right? And so she immediately called us and became a client instantly. Like, And we transitioned her show, helped her remove all the co-host information. We just made it smooth and easy for her and helped her advise her as to how to get out of the situation with the co-host without it costing her a fortune either. And it worked really great. And that was all came from because the fact that we had this long tail piece of information that was in the right place at the right time. That's how listeners turn to leads or leads find you and then become listeners and then become major leads and clients, right? That's how it flows here. And we have to be aware of that when we're making content mm-hmm. because too much of it is about this, like, I need to go viral instead of I need to be there when the right person needs me. And that's how I always look at it is like, I might need something that's tapped into the pulse of what's happening right now. Absolutely want to do that. We like to do it in the live stream model just because it's a little bit easier there for us. And it's Mm -hmm. easy to create the content there. And I don't have to think too hard about it. So we just do that. And then I want to capture everything else. Great keywords, great titles, save it as a video, an audio, and a blog. And if I do that, then I'm covering anyone in any mode of media type they care about. Yes. The different media types, right? Like people don't realize, especially with social media and the 13 seconds that you get of someone's attention and people saying, oh, long form content is dead. It's not. (laughs) Don't listen to that person. I have lots of people who are specialists in short form content and they will tell you that short form content doesn't lead to clients. It doesn't. It might lead to someone taking an extra look at you. But if you then don't have anything else to back it up, they won't become a client. If the only thing you do is short form content. And a podcast is a great way to be able to show up, especially for us introverts who maybe don't like being on video or don't like showing up live all the time. Like a one-on-one conversation recorded 
repurposed into a blog, repurposed into social content. So that's good into emails, all that stuff. You're hitting all of those points without having to actually show up (laughs) extra. Right. And this is my thing. It's like, I'm not a fan of creating short form content first. And I do have a few clients who do both at the same time. So they record their podcast and then they do a bunch of short talks or something like that at the end. That's fine if you really want to do it. But I know I've done a soundbite. I know I've given a tip. I know I've done it in there. Why not just cut it from what was in there? Like, I just don't see the point in doing more work for myself and having to think that through. Because I find short form content to get it right because you got to be concise about it. and You got to just get it just right. Doing that is actually harder. I will probably do five or six takes. I never do a second take of my podcast. Never happens, right? So it's way less work for me to do it once and then have it edited. Agreed. I'm thinking of the hour it takes me to like create one reel and I'm like, this is dumb. (laughs) This is dumb, right? It's not the best use of my time for an uncertain return. And this is the other thing that we have to really remember is that I have access to 100% of my subscribers who listen to the show, right? I got their ear. Now, 100% of my subscribers don't listen to every show, right? Like that doesn't happen anywhere. And I have no way of knowing who that subscriber is because Apple and Spotify keeps them. But if I've engaged them, if I've given them value, they want to give me value back. They will friend me. They will join my email list. They will come to my website. They will come through and find me. It's not hard. To find me because I'm out there, right? I'm putting myself out there. So I believe in that model of it. And we also have to remember that in Instagram, TikTok, all of these places, there's an algorithm that controls your access to it. So while you think, oh, I have a hundred followers, I have 10,000 followers, I have, you know, all these friends on Facebook, whatever it is, the reality is it's the algorithm only serves you up to about 13% of them. Mm-hmm. So if you're only reaching 13% of them and as you mentioned, like only about 13% of those like ever even really pay attention. That's next to nobody. Yeah. That's not enough to build a business on. 100% agree. I'm thinking this morning we had a team meeting and the one team member was like, hey, I was looking for you on Instagram. Did you delete your Instagram or something? Like, I thought we were friends. And she was like, no, I did it. And she's like, I couldn't find you. I, ha- I had to ask you to send me the link. Like, this is why I wanted to like, but literally they were already friends. And they couldn't find each other. It was like, you don't want to build a business on that, guys. (laughs) No, no, you don't. And like, look, I can't even tell you the last time. Like, I used to be a heavy, heavy LinkedIn user. And then all the bots got into the DMs. Yeah. And now I don't I now I look like once a month. In fact, I was at I was at a school event at the like high school orientation. My my middle one's going to high school. And so I was like at high school orientation. I'm flipping through and I was like, maybe I'll catch up on my LinkedIn and see what I have missed in the last month. And I got <laughs> flipping through and I was like, oh, junk, junk, junk. Like, you know what I mean? So it was like nothing anymore. So I don't even do the one platform that I cared the most about. I in the last six months, it has dropped off a cliff of my going in there. Now that doesn't mean I'm not posting there and not getting good success there, but I don't look at it as my first strategy. I don't look at it as my first point of contact with people. I want my first point of contact with them to be the hint there, but I want them to consume something, a video, a long tail video, a a podcast, a blog. I want them to consume something big before they even reach out to me because if they only reach out to me straight from a a reel, Mm -hmm. then we only have a superficial connection. It's not deep enough for them to know they want to work with me. But the great part is, how many times has it happened to you where you go somewhere and some people start talking to you like they know you? (laughs) 
I right? love that about podcasting. Yeah. Right? I The first time someone said is like someone reached out to me and was talking to me about ice cream. And I was like, how do they know that I like ice cream? Like, because I sometimes we say stuff on our show and we don't even realize like that that touched something that that personalized me in a way that made them connect. And when I remember that I did a podcast episode on how there's this brilliant business model, like I was talking about quick start of business, like it's too often we forget how to quick start. Hmm. And a podcast to me can be a quick start. It's a hypothesis. I think I have this audience and I think I have this message and doesn't match up. This is the cheapest, easiest, fastest way for me to do that without putting a lot of investment in building something, right? So I'm always looking for that. So this great ice cream maker, she wanted to have an ice cream shop in town in Orange County, California, where I live. She wanted to have this, but the permits, getting a dairy permit in Orange County is harder than getting a liquor license. And so, yeah, you have to have a dairy permit. You can't just have a restaurant permit. You have to have a dairy permit. So she would go to a ghost kitchen and she'd make batches of of her specialty ice creams. And then she would offer a flash sale on Facebook and we would order it. And this was during the pandemic. So we would order it and it would just arrive on our porch. She'd ring our bell. We'd go down, get it, put it in the freezer and we'd have the best fresh homemade ice cream every night. Brilliant business model, right? That's what I was talking about. And then I was talking about, of course, it taps into what's your favorite flavor. And so, and so. Like that's it. So this is, but then someone connects with that story. Mm -hmm. They heard my message, but they also connected with the personalness that I just gave them there. That's the beauty of being in someone's ear. Yes. Oh, it's so powerful. How do you recommend? I mean, you talk a lot about standing out, being like creating this binge factor, right? If you're creating subpar content. You can't really do that, right? Like we know, we've, we've heard it before. How do people stand out, especially knowing that there are going to be other podcasts that are talking about similar things? So I don't want people to get hung up on other podcasters, okay? Because we're not others. There's a place for people to connect with me. There's a place for people to connect with you. It's a different model of talking about subjects right? Yeah. What I don't want to see happen and what I consider to be subpar content is when you're using secondhand content. In other words, it's not your thoughts. It's not your experience. It's not your questions. You're phoning it in. Somebody else prepared the questions for you and then you do the interview. That is not a model of authenticity. It's not a model that is going to continue. A seven-minute podcast. I hate those. I hate, hate, hate those. They never get into anything that's of value to a podcast listener to begin with. Those are not the kinds of shows that you should be putting out if you truly want leads. It's just not going to happen for you. Be the original you are. Dive into it. You know what? It's messy. It's not perfect. That's also the great part about podcasting is you're going to get better at it. If I listen to some of my first episodes, I think I would just like want to crawl under a rock, right? And never podcast again, right? It's got to be that bad. I'm very sure, you know, we were like stiff. Like I can't explain, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. It was like, we were probably like not comfortable at all. Now you put me a mic in front of me and I don't even see the mic anymore. Like, it's just like, we're having a conversation and I can do this all day long. And if you met me offline, this people say, you're the same as you are on your podcast. I was like, yeah, because it's not a persona because that's too hard to do. Yeah. Right? I, I can't I'm sure there's some fast. actors who can do that. I'm not an actress, right? I can't do it. This is me, right? This is me being me. This is my energy level. This is what I look like on stage. When you can do that, it's going to be bingeable. It's going to be infectious and contagious and in the great ways, not in the negative ways, right? It's going to be wonderful and people are going to want more. But more importantly, when you're real about things, when you say, I tried this 
and I couldn't get it to work. I'd love to hear what you guys have done. This is Mm -hmm. why I do interviews so I can find out what else other people are doing because I'm curious. That's real. That will never be subpar. That's what I want you to realize. It's like, it's not possible if you live in a point of curiosity, if you care to curate for your audience, so you care more about them than what you're doing. That's where those seven minute podcasts, it's all about them. It's Mm -hmm. how many people can I meet on interview? And if I can do them in seven minutes, I've met as many people as possible. And they're all, I'm just deciding which one of those I'm going to pitch. That's what it is. So it's not for the listener and it's not even for the guest. You just got funneled. Yeah. Right? And most people don't realize that that's what happens in a lot of podcasting. But the listeners know. That's why they have their listeners on the other side. They know it's a funnel. They feel it. They know there's not authenticity there. So I'm always thinking about that first. And then my side of that is if I'm not like truly interested in what this guest has to say, then I really shouldn't have them on my show. Shame on me for inviting them. If I, if I, and that's why I don't invite someone I didn't investigate personally. I don't team that out. My team might gather some ideas of people, but I actually check them out before I make an invite. And I, same thing with the pod match. You and I met yeah. through pod match. I love it. The AI does a great job of matching. It's a fantastic system, but I still check out every profile and take a quick listen to the podcast before I make my decision about even doing the invitation part. I do that personally. It takes me five minutes because I know what I'm looking for. And when I hear it, I go, hmm, this is going to be good. We're going to have fun. I scroll through their titles, check them out, listen to an episode for about five minutes and go, yep, we can have a great conversation. We're going to have fun. And then before the interview, I do deeper research, but that's just so I can prepare my questions. Yeah. Everything you said, like being authentic, being vulnerable with your audience, actually taking intention into the people you're having on your show, the kinds of conversations you're having and pulling what I believe is one of the most important parts for the audio format. And that is being excited, right? Our audience can hear it. If you're like, they hear that. They hear that you're like, wow, this, if you're not vibing with a guest well or any of that, they know. And that's why bringing that energy and like knowing, hey, this is going to be a fun conversation and I get to share it with my audience, win-win, right? It's not about what can I get from them? What can I get from my audience? It's about creating something that you're excited to create. Right. And back to that competitive thing you mentioned, I really want to dive into that just a little bit deeper here. As an independent, you have a huge competitive advantage over a corporation. They're not going to get their act together to allow podcasting. It's not going to happen that easily, right? They got to go through their corporate channels, make decisions, decide who's going to be on camera. And then they're worried about whether or not what that person says is going to tank their stock, right? Like they can't worry about all those things, right? It's going to happen. So we just have to look at it as that's a competitive advantage for us here. And the second thing that we want to look at is, is that the big thought leaders, I'm going to call it the old guys, the old guys (laughs) in the speaking industry, the ones who gurus, right? Yeah. (laughs) They believe podcasting is beneath them. They would rather be paid to be on a stage and do an hour worth of work than they would do four hours a month of podcasting. Mm. That's where you can just shine and do so many things. So I see a lot of this. Like I, there were all, there was a well known guru from probably the 80s. Like he was probably pretty well known in the 80s, did a lot of audio tapes back then. Right. We know who you're talking about. Yeah. I'm sure you do. (laughs) Audio tapes. Right. And so 
he had this huge library of all of it. And eventually they got them onto CDs and then they eventually got them onto video and like they did all of this, right? And they had them all there and they thought, we're just going to re-air these as podcasts. But I had this independent podcaster who was this nice young kid and he would take the lesson from that audio. He didn't replay the audio. He didn't violate any copyrights, didn't do anything. He said, but this guru's topic is this, right? And this is a lesson that I learned. And here's how I'm thinking about this. And he would do it like it was a book review. Hmm. So now he's tapping into that guru's idea, but bringing his perspective to it, his energy, his audience was coming to tune into his version of what that meant today. Yeah. He had over 100,000 listeners a month. I think he hit 250,000 at the point that I think he stopped doing it and went on to do something else. But he did that and did a library of over 200 episodes. Wow. Right? Amazing. That guy who republishes audio, I swear I don't think he had 500 a month. Yeah. Right? Because it has no energy of being in the moment. Mm. It has none of those great things about understanding our audiences and understanding that. So there's always a competitive place, no matter where in the authority scale you are, where in the business building scale you are, don't worry about the competitors. The one thing I do worry about, though, is if there are no competitors. Agreed, yeah. (laughs) Because that's always a red flag. Like, why isn't anybody talking about this? Now, it might be just so new that no one's touched on it. Like with 3D printing, there was only five shows when I started that. But there were five other shows. So there was something to compare against, right? There wasn't nothing. And if it was nothing, I'd be like, are there podcast listeners in this? Maybe I should guest on some other shows and test the topic. Like that would be a better strategy. So nothing is always a scary place. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I believe I talked about this when I was on your show. We had someone where they were a client and they wanted to do a podcast on GMOs. And we saw, hey, There's a lot of episodes on GMOs, but not a lot of podcasts. It might be worth doing a limited series or just doing like, uh, hey, this is going to be 10 episodes and that's it kind of thing, which she ended up doing. She was more of like, I want to test it for SEO and see how podcasts work. So that was a whole other side thing anyway. But yeah, it was just very fascinating. And I definitely haven't seen that since, but I can, I bet there are topics that it's like, there are talking about this. Yeah. I mean, look, there's probably now like, I'm sure, uh, and I haven't looked at it recently, but like AI was being talked about on podcasts for about six months before chat GPT hit. So in the six months prior, I think I had probably talked about it 10 or 12 times in that six months prior to the December launch of chat GPT. And now there are shows. Right. right. So like it tips over at some point when you start to see that trend. That's really great. Get on the forefront of it. So there's not something wrong with that. That absolutely a great strategy for it when something's new, especially when something's new, because otherwise, like I've seen it, like all these books that pop up, a book on chat GPT is like outdated. Uh, the day yes. after it publishes, right? But at least I can keep my podcast up to date because I can keep up with the content, right? Way better media type for that kind of topic. I would never publish a book like that. <laughs> like it just, it's, it'd be outdated by the time you printed it. Yeah. And I'm thinking even too, like now people searching podcasting in AI, this in AI, like they're going to find your episodes a lot quicker. One, because they're optimized for SEO in a long form blog content, but also Google's like, hey, this has been here for a while. This is valid. Other than the new stuff, it's like, 
is this spam or not? You know, so you're going to show up better with that. Right. Are they just jumping on the bandwagon? Is this real? And so like, and that's also something Google's really good at. Like we have to realize the humans are better at it. We don't know we're doing it, but it's, it is instinctually something we do. So when we scroll into our Spotify or our podcast, Apple podcast app, I use Google Podcasts like because I have an Android, but you do it and you go in there and it, you say, I'm looking for something in this topic, AI podcasting, and it pops up shows and episodes. I'm more likely to choose something that has 200 episodes, even if AI isn't the topic of the show, because I know that someone who's already talking about podcasting is not jumping on the yeah. bandwagon of AI. They are covering it in the scope of podcasting, which is what I want to know about. If I then truly find, okay, now I need more, now maybe I'll go to a show. But our, our human instinct is to look for the person with the most authority. That's how Google works, too. It says this website, and this is what used to happen to us, this website produces the most current and consistent content on 3D printing. Every single week, and for us, it was five days a week. So every single day, they're posting brand new content about 3D printing. If someone types something brand new into the search engine that Google's never seen before, and that happens 20% out of, of the time, one out of every five things that are typed into, the, into Google, Google's never seen before. Now, sometimes it's misspelling and stupidity, but sometimes it's real. And they have to figure out where to send that traffic, right? They got to figure out who to send it to because it doesn't exist yet and they haven't indexed it and they don't have enough content on it or they don't trust the content mm. that just showed up overnight, right? And so they're going to say, wow, okay, you want to find out, and this happened to us, you want to find out about CAD, computer-aided design for 3D printing. These people have talked about software for 3D printing. That's CAD software and they make the and they send them to us, whether we have the answer or not. And because of that, because we were a greater authority, we would get what they call super keyword rankings for things that we didn't even talk about. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> right. Because we became a super a niche authority in our industry. That's huge. When you hit that critical mass, you could talk about anything and you are going to beat out. So not only is a bot recognizing that, but so are humans. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so true. And really, you've talked about so many different ways that we can make the most of our podcast, right? It's not just showing up being like, I'm going to create content again. It's so much more than that. And it allows us to really be able to run our businesses and grow our businesses and connect with people on a deeper level. Tracy, thank you so much. This has been so incredible. Where can people find you, hang out with you, listen to your podcast if they're like, um, I need more Tracy in my life? Well, you can go to The Binge Factor and feed your brand anywhere you listen to podcasts. So that's always my go-to. I do want to mention this. Like, There's a lesson here. Too many people will try to sell their thing. The reality is, is that I, I, if you're listening to this, you're a podcast listener. If you're watching this, you're a video watcher. We're also on YouTube. You can find the podcast there. Go take it more in because when you take more in, then you will find it so easy because you can click anywhere and get to my website, get to me and get more content and or reach straight out, get an appointment with us. Our team's always there for podcasters. We're happy to do, we call them power appraisals of your show. If you've already got one, we'll give you where you're, where you are in the industry. And we don't charge people for that because we want you to grow and learn. So like all that is out there. But if you do want to find me on social, as I mentioned, I am on LinkedIn. Follow me there because we live stream every single week there and you can get the latest and greatest as to what we're talking about. So if social media is your preferred, try LinkedIn. 
Perfect. Uh, thank you so much again, Tracy. You're very welcome. I'm so glad to be here. And I love listeners to leads. This is such an important concept in podcasting. So thank you for producing this show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Listeners to Leads. If you found something in this episode valuable, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend who you know would also get value from it. Want to send me a message? My favorite place to hang out is Instagram. You can find me at alicia.galati. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was from the episode. And don't forget, turning those listeners into leads is actually easy.